Okay, a bit of an exercise this morning. Turn to the very front of your Bible. And I know you who use your cell phones or whatever, tablets or whatever, it's going to be a little harder for you. Uh, turn it on. How's that? Uh, go to the front of your Bible to a section called the Table of Contents. Now, your Bible should have, unless it's just a New Testament, uh, you should have an Old Testament and a New Testament on the set before you. If you go through the Old Testament and start running down there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, keep going, keep going, past Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, keep going all the way down to Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. See it? Daniel. I wanted you to find that book. Notice its page number. 1,591. Or somewhere in that ballpark, maybe. All right. Whatever that page number is, turn to it. I want us all on the same page here, okay? Turn to that, because sometimes you might take, if you're not used to the way it's set up in the Old Testament, you're going to say... Where is that book? And you're going to spend a lot of time looking for it. And the beauty is, somebody did that for you and put it in the front of your Bible. I always recommend, if you have a study Bible, read those chapters on how to use the study Bible. It sure comes in handy, so you know what all those little letters and symbols and things like that mean. But uh, the book of Daniel is where we're going to be this morning. See, I don't even have it marked yet, so I've got to turn all my pages here. Okay, so Daniel chapter number 1. Let's, uh, let's start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can have a copy. We can own a copy, and many of us own many copies of your word. We are very, very, very blessed because we have this book in our hand right now. May we see the value of such a thing and dedicate our attention to it. This is your word, Lord. This is what you have said. You had it written for us that we might see it, we might read it, that we might glean from it, understand it, and to do what you call us to do. You have blessed us with this, Lord, and may we not take that lightly as we have this opportunity, really this privilege, to study together at this time. And I pray you bless it, Lord. Guide us through it and give us your words, give us your thoughts, and also give us the strength to do what you call us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, since you have your Bibles open now to Daniel chapter number one, I'm going to read to you the chapter. All right? Daniel chapter number 1. So follow along in your Bibles as we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, 
showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel, notice verse 8, especially, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the official that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you will make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were more fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them, not all, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued into the first year of Cyrus the king. That last verse we just read. That's the entire 70-year captivity. Starts with Nebuchadnezzar, ends with Cyrus. That's 70 years. And all in one chapter, he summed that up to say that Daniel was in that role for 70 years. That's quite a statement, just that alone. Now, I want to welcome you to our new sermon series. Uh, My goal is to preach and teach through the entire book of Daniel. Now, that might worry you, because... Today we're starting with the word in. It's the first word of the first verse. You say, okay, what's this all about? Okay. There are 12 chapters in Daniel. 
there are 357 words in Daniel, or, or verses in Daniel. There are 11,602 words in the book of Daniel. And if I preached a sermon on every word and did nothing else for the rest of the year, you know I stop for Christmas and other things like that, that means you're going to be 223 years older when I finish than you are today. I'm not doing that. If we do verse by verse, each sermon is a verse, this is going to take seven to eight years. Which is also a way to say, I don't expect we're going to quite do it that way either. Uh, but this is one of the most fascinating Old Testament books. And I want to give it its due attention. Uh, some people equate it with the book of Revelation in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They combine those two because they're both prophetic in nature. I took a class when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. It was called Daniel Revelation. And that was the whole class was both of those books. That was a fascinating book set to have in front of us. This is a book of prophecy. And that always intrigues us. And so there's a lot of fun things to learn as we go. Uh, in your English rendering of God's Word, it's classified as a major prophet along with Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. Lamentations is in that too. But if you're reading the Jewish canon of the Old Testament, they put it in the historical books. And you might find this interesting. For all the books in the Old Testament, they only label a handful of them as historical. And that is Ezra, Nehemiah, books of First and Second Chronicles, and Daniel. It's that, hmm, that's an... We're, anyway, that's an interesting viewpoint they have here. No doubt you're familiar with parts of this book. If you've been to Sunday school at any time, you probably have had at least one story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now you know that's not their real names that their parents named them. Uh, the Fiery Furnace. Perhaps you remember Daniel in the lion's den. Or maybe the hand that wrote on the wall. Uh, for some time after you grow up, we get into the 70 weeks of Daniel. And we spend a lot of time talking through that great prophetic chapter as well. But that's only four of the 12 chapters of this book. There is so, so much more for us to study together with. My goal here is not to set you up to win Trivia Pursuit. All right? That's not what we're going to do. But we're going to set before you, in, in just a word that I believe exemplifies the lives of our main people in this book, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as well as, I would even add, this one word sums up the character of our God too. It's the word uncompromising. That sounds like a strong word uncompromising. You might have seen in the bulletin, that's the title. That's the title of our study, uncompromising. And if you were to do a Google search on that right now, you would find a slew of unflattering and even, frankly, negative words. It's interesting how our, word does, our world does not like that word whenever it has to do with something righteous. <laughs> but if it has to do with them, oh, it's different. But, uh, uncompromising, if they pull that adjective out, they would say, it shows an unwillingness to make concessions to others. 
especially by changing one's way or opinion. It means to be harsh or relentless or inflexible or unbending or unyielding or unpersuadable, rigid, tough, stiff, hard-lined, obstinate, stubborn, pig-headed, bull-headed. And that's just a fraction of them. But they also denote strength, courage. The position a believer really does need in our day and age. Unshakable, unwavering, resolute, and determined. I'm going to obviously lean toward that as we talk about this idea of being uncompromising. Because it is an adjective. I think it does speak of our God in this way. His decrees, given in this book, he does not waver on. Every word he says, he says with resolution. Absolutely unshakable, unwavering, determined in what our Lord declares. Now that does not negate the fact that he's also compassionate and kind. That's what I love about our God. He's not characterized by one word. His character is defined by a whole bunch of words because he's that kind of a God. And as you put them all together, he is 100% of every single one of those. Not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But God's decrees in this book of Daniel, if they haven't happened yet, they will happen. That's the reality of what we're going to see here. Because what God has said, he meant it, and it will happen. I count on that, because for the first four or five chapters, it's going to deal primarily with things, a lot of things in the past. And you're going to see, God is resolute about those statements. So the rest of the book that talks about things in the future, guess what we can count on? He is uncompromising about truth, as he was in the start as he will be at the end. This is what I love about this. And what I like especially is the way Daniel exemplifies that too. The character of Daniel is a man who is uncompromising. Now you're probably going to know, and you probably should know by now, that I aim to be consistently literal in my understanding and interpretation as I read and teach this book. That's my style. That's what I do all the way through. The critics don't like that, to be honest with you, especially when you're talking about prophecy and end times. They like it to go a little more symbolic. They like it to go a little more allegorical. I take it literal. They even call me wooden. They say, oh, he's wooden. You know what? I call that a compliment. I say, after all, the cross was wooden too. There's no compromise there. And when I study through God's Word, I say, unless He tells me otherwise, I'm going to take it just the way He said so. And so we're going to see some things in here that I think are fascinating. But I think you also ought to start with the fact that Daniel lived and wrote not in the 21st century. Alright? This is an old book. It goes back to 605 B.C. That's 2,600 and some years ago. It covers a span of over 70 years in the life of this prophet Daniel. We're introduced to him here in chapter 1, verse 6. We read several episodes in his life during that Babylonian captivity. It's interesting because the first one, two, three, 
three chapters, maybe four chapters. It's four chapters. Here's Daniel at a very young age, around 605, maybe 600, maybe 597, somewhere in that ballpark. And then when you get to chapter 5, this guy's 80 years old. It spans his life that much. And you may say, what happened in all the middle? Because it goes from one chapter to the next, and it spans his life that way. It doesn't tell you everything that happened in his life. But I think it's interesting that we find Daniel as a young man uncompromising in his teens. And then when we find him as an elderly man in a lion's den, he's still uncompromising. And by that I mean this. Daniel was resolute. He would follow and obey God regardless of the consequence of living in a pagan world. And that's going to be my statement for us. Being resolute, uncompromising, willing to follow God and obey His Word, regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan society. There's an old book, a hymn book, we used to sing from. I know you guys sang from a year. I grew up singing from it as well. The old hymn book, they had at the top of the songs, sections. And one of them was called the youth section. And so all those little songs like Jesus loves even me and Jesus loves me and all that's in there. But also another one called Dare to be a Daniel. We didn't sing it much growing up. I Maybe one time or so along. It's not in the hymn books today. It's rare to find it. You might find it in some Claremont kids singing or something like that. But uh, um, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honor them, the faithful true, all hail to Daniel's band. I'm not going to read the whole hymn because some of it is like, eh, that's weird. Maybe that's why it's not in the hymn book anymore. But uh, the refrain comes out, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, Dale, dare to make it known. We do need to teach our children to take on the character of a Daniel in our day and age. You probably know that. To be resolute. To follow and obey God regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan world. Do I need to convince you that it's a pagan world? I bet I don't. At the pace things are going right now, if the Lord should not come for us soon, our children and grandchildren are going to experience things in this world that we have never dreamed of. Things that we have never seen since the days we were young ourselves. Much more, living uncompromisingly as a follower of God and obedient to His world will leave many of us as oddballs, strangers, and even as targets in a world that loves darkness rather than light. We already smell it in the air, don't we? It's already coming. And the scriptures will be fulfilled, folks. Times will proceed from bad to worse. I don't prefer to say that. I would prefer that it go the other way. And I don't mean that to scare you in any way, but to call you as it calls me. To be uncompromising 
in our following and obedience to God, regardless of the consequence of living that way in a world like ours. Daniel is going to serve as an example to us of how to do it. And even better, how God reveals and rewards those who diligently seek Him. That's going to be a good study for us. We have a lot more to say about it, but first I need to set the table for you here in the book of Daniel. Start with this. Daniel was a real man. All right? He lived at a real time. It was true. Verse 1 tells us the setting. It's more than just in today. Okay? In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, stop right there. This is our setting. And it's a very important setting for us. There were days, you can believe this, I'm sure, there were days in the history of the nation of Israel when it was very difficult to be uncompromising. You ever read the Old Testament all the way through? You ever feel like, wow, this is depressing? There's a lot of it that feels that way when you're reading through it. Not many get real excited about Second Kings or Second Chronicles. Where everything seems to be going downhill. It's just a hard time to read this. But in Daniel chapter 1 verse 1, it talks about King Jehoiakim. Now, many times when we go to the book of Daniel, we focus on Nebuchadnezzar first. Nebuchadnezzar, he's pretty dominant in the chapters. We know that. And not only that, but he's got a big name. Sounds impressive anyway. A guy who could, you know crank up the fiery furnace seven times hotter. He's got a lot of authority and a lot of, of ability. And so we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar as we go, but he's not the main focus as we start today. The fact is this, and I don't know if you thought this through. I was putting this together in my head. Daniel is going to live through the reign of three Judean kings, six Babylonian kings, and two kings of the Medes and the Persians. In the section from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 12 in the last verse, Daniel will have lived through 11 different kingdoms. Most of the time we don't see that, because we focus more on Nebuchadnezzar. We bring up Belshazzar for his moment, We talk about Cyrus just for a few minutes, like he was at the end of that last verse. We talk about Darius, the guy in charge of the lion's den. We talk about them, but there were a lot more people in his life. Each of these, I think, if we were to study them out and learn who they were, brought some sort of challenge, and some of the challenges were very intense, to Daniel's resolve to follow the Lord. A resolve, uh, I'm going to contend this morning, was already in place by the time we're introduced to Daniel in chapter 1. I'll show you why. Alright? Let me show you this remarkable setting here in verse 1, because you just see the word Jehoiakim, and you say, okay, what's that all about? Jehoiakim. Not only does it sound like a funny name, but this, this man that we read about was the son of Josiah. Josiah, the king of Judah, was one of the greatest kings Judah ever saw. You ranked him up there with David and Hezekiah, 
for example, jo- Josiah was a fantastic king. And he led the people well. He was godly. He was great. And he died a horribly shocking death on a battlefield. And Jeremiah scratched his head, probably still scratching to this day. Why, Lord, did you do that? But Josiah dies. He had three sons. All three of them will sit on the throne. All three of them. He also will have a grandson who will sit on the throne. Let me tell you about them for a minute here. Because Josiah, as great and godly as he was, you're going to find that his children were quite the opposite. Daniel is introduced to us here in verse number 1, the year is 605 B.C. All right? Daniel is described as a youth from the very start. Many times we think him to be probably in his teens. His early teens. You can put him at 15 if you want, if you want halfway through that. However you like to think about that. But Daniel was young at the time. That means he was alive and probably about 10 years old when King Josiah died. His first 10 years, he would have known a godly king. He would have seen godly things happening in his community and in the leadership of the people. But suddenly, Josiah is killed in battle. And the commentaries start to tell us, God's commentary in Second Kings, by the way, starts to tell you about the nature of the sons who took Josiah's place. Remember, Daniel is living at this time, and he had already seen a godly king on the throne. And now Jehoahaz, the first of Josiah's son, takes the throne. In Second Kings twenty three thirty one, I'm just going to read you a couple of verses here. God's commentary. All right. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king. He reigned three months, three months in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. How much time do you need to mess it up? Three months. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all his forefathers had done. And that is a mess, by the way. If you're talking about Ahaz and Ahazus and you're talking about um, Manasseh. And all the others in there that were making a mess of the kingdom. This guy followed in their practices as well. And so the Pharaoh of Egypt came and put him in prison. He couldn't work with this guy. So here shows you his power. That an enemy nation comes in and grabs him by his collar and throws him into the prison. But Jehoahaz was put in prison and uh, he stays there until he dies. And his brother was put in his place. Jehoiakim. That's the guy we're going to talk about here, Jehoiakim. Second uh, Kings twenty three thirty six. Jehoiakim was twenty five years old when he became king. So he was older than his brother who was just on the throne. Uh, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. The now the book of Second Kings doesn't give us much more than that information. Stay tuned, though. We're going to get into more about this. But this is the time when Nebuchadnezzar came to town. 
Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and we start Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and he seizes Jerusalem, and he carries off Daniel and the others. 605 B.C. Jehoiakim is king at the time. Nebuchadnezzar came in to show he is now in charge. Egypt is not in charge anymore. Babylon is. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in and demanded uh, obedience and uh, that this King Jehoiakim was going to serve him and do what he says. Now, you may think that Daniel being carried off at 605 into the kingdom of Babylon and under Nebuchadnezzar and all that was going to be a new difficult experience for him to live under an ungodly king. What I suggest to you is that old phrase of falling out of the fire pan and what? There's Daniel. He had already been living under an ungodly king. His teen years, he was living under an ungodly king who did everything in history to make people sin. You want to get a picture of this guy? Jehoiakim? This is where I've always thought I would someday design that Bible with the sound effects on the sides. You know, like kids' books used to have. You could push it for a cow, go moo and stuff like that. When you say, here's a cow, and you push the button with the cow, and it moves. I always wanted a boo button. Now, when you cross a Pharisee, or you cross the Antichrist, or you come up to a bad king, you push the button, and it goes, boo! I think that'd be perfect for this guy. Let me tell you why. This is Daniel living under an ungodly man, and he lives the majority of his youth under this ungodly man, and that's significant. Matter of fact, that's even astounding in the fact that Daniel is very early being shaped to obey the Lord and stand alone if necessary. Here's the brief history of Jehoiakim. In 11 short years, he reversed nearly everything his father stood for. One commentary described him this way. He was totally materialistic and self-centered. He was considered a fool, a puppet king of Egypt, an abuser of the poor, one who brought misery to all his people. He was considered to be Judah's third worst King, and that's a ranking you don't want to be on. He murdered innocent people. He was the one who mistreated Jeremiah. You read the book of Jeremiah and all the trouble he had. That's Jehoiakim treating him like that. When Jeremiah presented God's word to him, you remember, if you remember the story, that the king Jehoiakim cut it up with a penknife and threw it in the fire as it was being read to him. He had such contempt for God's word. By the way, he also had contempt for Nebuchadnezzar. Not a smart move politically. Not a smart move at all. Uh, He put his own people in a very dangerous position. Because Nebuchadnezzar had come to town three times. He came in 605 and he says, Jehoiakim, I'm taking your best people with me. Daniel is one of those. I'm taking your best people with me, and I'm going to take them away from you, and I'm going to train them up to be Babylonian. Obey me. 597. Not many years later, Jehoiakim says, I don't need Nebuchadnezzar. I can do whatever I want. You don't say that to Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar came back to town. He was mad. He was furious. He was coming to tear the city to pieces at 597. The people saw that and they realized, boy, are we in trouble. This cocky king we have is talking back to the strongest guy in the universe and we're going to be crushed. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to destroy the place. The people understood it. And if history, if, if history is what we believe happened here, the people feared Nebuchadnezzar more than they feared Jehoiakim. And so in a gesture of submission to Babylon, they killed Jehoiakim, threw him over the wall, and left him there to be buried like a donkey. Pretty high respect for their king, huh? Nebuchadnezzar went back home. It worked. But that's the nature of this king you're looking at right here. Not loved by the people. Did everything he could to destroy and leave misery in his wake. Here's a, here's a glimpse of what was left behind. If you read 2 Kings 24, and it gives a summary there of the rest of the story. This is what it says. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. This is Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. So at the command of the Lord, it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh on top of it, according to all that he had done. And also for the innocent blood which he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord will not forgive. Those are some of the most severe words you're ever going to read in Scripture. The Lord would not forgive. Wow! Aren't you glad he didn't say that towards you? Oh, that's where Daniel lived before he went to Babylon. That's his environment, the people he lived among, the leaders that were over him. I won't read a lot into this phrase, but I find it very interesting that psychologists believe that most of one's personality is shaped by the time they're in first grade. If that's the case, we don't know about Daniel's parents. We don't know what kind of home he was raised in. Some would suggest that they might have been part of the royal family because that's who Nebuchadnezzar stripped from the king, some of the royal people. Um, we don't know if that's all there or not. We don't, it's not recorded for us. But we do know that it's so much harder to live for God when the environment is ungodly. When the environment is so ungodly, and this is the fact that we do know, in his early years, he was under that kind of an influence. An evil influence in his day and among his people. And then he's transported to Babylon, and Daniel becomes a man there. And what do we find? An uncompromising man. And where do we find it? By the time you get to verse 6 in this passage. He was already a man who is known to think that way, even as a youth. He had made up his mind, verse 6 says. He had made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's food. 
for the king's drink. As we go through this book, we're going to find that he is quite consistent in his uncompromising resolve. I love this about this. This is something worth our study today. I'll give you a couple of quotes of things regarding Daniel's response to that food, for example, and how it could defile him. Somebody wrote that Daniel saw the food of Babylon as a sign of pagan living and its acceptance as an act of surrender. In the practice of contemporary society, there are features which, perhaps harmless in themselves, has assumed the nature of a test, like the meat sacrificed to the idols of Corinth. To participate, to accept, or even partake becomes, for the Christian, an act of compromise and a demonstration of conformity. Daniel and his friends decided to be separated, to act as valor under the circumstances. No doubt, they no doubt received much contrary advice, much warning of perilous impudence, much angry protest because they were afraid to be involved in, the minority, in their minority's unyieldedness. They stood firm, though. They left their career and their safety in God's hands refused to accept the symbols of paganism, and were richly vindicated. I read that quote and I said, hmm, that's pretty impressive. There are many pe periods of history that we could equate the follower of God in a pagan society much to what we see of Daniel in his. There is much about our society that resembles the wickedness of man and the difficulty of being a believer in the midst of it. As I read the New Testament, I see the books of Second Timothy and First and Second Peter and Jude and a handful of others warning us, warning us in the church age that the days are not going to be easy. Difficult times will come, the writers would say. Difficult times will come. And we as believers need to know that. Our world is not a pretty place to be. Somebody says it makes a lousy home, but it makes a great gymnasium. If you want to test your faith, if you want to have your faith grow, we're getting that opportunity more and more. More and more. Society does that. And I don't know about you, but that's what I see when I look at what's around me. But this is not uncommon. It has happened in history time after time after time. And Daniel was one of those times when it shows us that you can stand godly in an ungodly world. You can do it. We're not called to live in Daniel's day. Do you know that? We're not called to, to live in any other day except the one we're in right now. That may sound rather simplistic, but what we read about Daniel and these three other men in the book, and the vast majority of those who were captured with them, what came of their names? We know of four of a host of people. What came of those names? They remain unnamed. They've become insignificant in our history. Why? They compromised. They compromised. See, it's so easy to march in the current of the world, isn't it? It's so easy to, to just blend in with the rest and not yield behind you or leave behind you a trail 
for others to follow as uncompromising faith and actions and following and obeying God regardless of the consequences of this world. How many footprints are before us that show us how to do it? How many trails have been left for us to follow behind? It is true. You and I can make a difference. Do you know that? We can make a difference. Maybe not something that the world would stand up and applause. And, and I'd rather not, anyway. If the world likes it, I want to get away from it, quite honestly. But I do want to live a life that inspires or challenges or shows somebody that you can be godly in a day like today. I want my kids to see that. I want my grandkids to see that. If nobody else, I want whoever follows behind me to say, you can live uncompromising and trust God in our day and age too. That's what I see when I study this book. We're in for a study, aren't we? This is going to be good. Because we're going to see the character of Daniel. But we're going to see more than that, the character of our God. And I think it's fascinating to go through this. So I'm going to give you something to do. Alright? You like homework? I'm a teacher. I can't help it. Now, you might have 223 years to complete this. Depending on how fast I go. But here's your three options. Alright? Three options. I didn't give you just one this time. You got three. Read the entire book of Daniel. Twelve chapters. Can you do it? Do you know what I'd love to see? I'd like to see a goal of 75 of us read this book. Okay? It doesn't mean you're going to read it 75 times. You could if you want. But read the book. And like to, I, and if your children, I'm talking to children too, read the book. And if they can't read, parents, read it to them. Alright? Read the book. But let's see if a lot of us, the majority of us, could read through the book of Daniel at least one time in the next 223 years. Okay? Second, here's another option for you, because some of you say, well, that's easy enough. I could do that this week, and I'm done. Well, here's option two. Go through the book, and for every chapter, record one word that describes that chapter. That's a little fun, isn't it? You've got to read through it and figure it out. And what one word describes that chapter well? It could be any word that matches it. You're going to have 12 words in all. Memorize it. Is that too hard? That's only 12 words. Less than some verses in the Bible. But you would then have in your head, if somebody says, chapter 6, you're going to say, and you're going to have your word. All right? That's a great way to understand a book. So I'm going to give you option number two. It's just 12 words. Give each chapter a title that's one word long. Option three. Memorize five books in the, or five, five books. Ah, five verses in the book of Daniel. Any five you want. Right? Jesus wept is not in the book. In case you're wondering. All right. Five verses. Pick any one you want. Five verses. Memorize them. I do recommend you pick one that kind of inspires you, kind of challenges you. Not, you know, and he died or something like that. That's just, that's, that's just. Pick five. Just pick five. Okay? And that's, that's my three options for you. You might choose one of those. You might choose two of those. 
you might choose to do all three of those. But this is what I want to encourage you to do. You set these little goals in front of you, and maybe you think they're little, maybe you think they're big. But this is the way we get involved. We share with each other. Like if you tell us your 12 words, that's going to encourage somebody else to go and do their 12 words. Uh, you come and share your memory verses. Maybe you could do one. Maybe you could do all five. But you want to share it with everybody else, and it encourages us. To also get involved and study and look at it, because I believe we're going to profit a lot from this study. So let's invest in it. Let's get involved in it. And not just listen to it. Read it. Label it. Memorize some of it. And I think you're going to find that's very encouraging. That's what I want to do. Because some of the things I say, like... We live in an ungodly world. doesn't sound so promising, does it? Nobody goes home saying, boy, do I feel better about that. But I think that we need to have the perspective that our God is sovereign, regardless of the world around us. And He loves us so much, and He's so involved in our lives, that we can read those words and say, yet I have a God who loves me, cares for me, and he is in charge. There's encouragement in this. And I want us to go away encouraged that this is God's word. And there's much for us to learn. It's going to be a good study. Uncompromising. Let's learn the word. And learn how to do it. Heavenly Father, help us with our study today. And through the months to come. We're going to dig into a book and dig into it wonderfully deep. And I thank you, Lord, for that. For giving us such a book that we can study. I pray, Lord, though, most of all, that you encourage our hearts. And if we're weak in this department, if we're scared in this department, if we find it hard to be different in a world like ours, we know what the Bible says. We know what it is to be a Christian. And yet, peer pressure is tough. Things at school could be tough. Things at the college could be tough. It might be at the workplace where they don't even let you name the name of God. There's tough places in this world, and we see it all around us, Lord. Teach us this whole principle of being uncompromising in our faith in you, in our walk with you, that we might prove and show to be lights in a dark world, that we might make a difference. And it may not be a life we touch around us right now, maybe down the road. It may not be until somebody reads our life story later. But whatever it is, Lord, may we leave behind an example. Like Daniel left for us. An example of a man of faith in a very pagan society. Teach us, we pray. Challenge us with this, we pray. And call us, Lord, to a deeper walk with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.